So we're going to begin a new um, series, and it's going to last for um, the entire month of January, um, leading into um, our Vision Sunday. And uh, the series is called The Quest, and what we're doing, what we're focusing on, is aligning ourselves um, with God. Um, and so, we're, so in this year, as we begin this new series, as we come together, this is a time where uh, we focus on establishing spiritual disciplines um, for ourselves, but also um, the vision for where we're headed as a church. But this year, our, our primary focus as a church is to establish ourselves in the city. Now, I've been, again, mentioned before that we've been preparing for this uh, for several weeks. When we talk about establishing Emerge Berkeley um, in the city, it involves uh, more than just having a physical presence. Um, that can often be the easy part. If you find a building and if you have the resources, you can simply just rent a space. That's the easy part. But it's about um, becoming an integral part of the lives of the people within our city. Um, so throughout this year, we're going to answer questions like, what is this institution we call the church? We're also going to um, talk about, why do we have a church? Um, who are we as a church? And what are we supposed to do as a church? So these are questions we're going to be answering in different ways throughout this year. Uh, these questions, um, they speak to identity and purpose. Now, Paul emphasizes um, the corporate identity of believers as the body of Christ, um, with each individual being a member of that body. In 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And so if we are the church, it's important that we understand our identity and purpose in God, or else we'll never fulfill what God has in store for his church. So in finding our purpose in God, we can also find our purpose for the church because we are the church. Amen? Yeah, we are the church. And so now, by definition, history is the study of past events, which means Everything that happened in 2023 is now a part of history. We won't have 2023 again. It's gone. But there's a branch of history called counterfactual theory. Counterfactual theory considers the alternate realities that might have transpired if things were different. It's like the multiverse or the multiverse. Have you ever considered if you were just, you know, two feet taller? <laughs> but counterfactual theory focuses on the what-if questions in life. Um, much like the Bible, history is filled with what-if moments. Like, what if David had missed Goliath with that stone? Have you ever considered that? Or what if Joseph and Mary didn't flee Bethlehem before Herod's army arrived? 
I mean, what if is a powerful question, but it's a question that works um, both ways. When we ask what if, it often stems from uh, a moment of regret. Like, what if we hadn't done this? What if, you know, I hadn't left my house five minutes earlier? Or what if, you know, I had said yes to an opportunity? What if I, you know, said I love you one more time? You know, what if we would have completed all our resolutions from 2023? You guys thought about that? But instead of what if being a question of missed opportunities, it can be a question of hope and a question of possibilities. Now, much like the counterfactual theory in history, we can explore the what ifs of our spiritual journey. Like, what if we committed our lives to intentional and disciplined spiritual training? Or what if we embrace the idea of becoming great followers of Christ, knowing that greatness is cultivated through training? So for the rest of today's teaching, we're going to focus on ways in which we can excel in our spiritual journey. Uh, greatness in the spiritual realm, much like any skill, it involves training and discipline. So I want you to see uh, this sermon as an invitation to explore the how behind the development of our spiritual lives. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question. I'm just asking because I want to make sure you guys stay awake for this next in few moments, all right? Uh, so do you guys know anyone who is really skilled at something? Man. <laughs> But when someone is really skilled at something, it can be inspiring, you know, it, you know. And sometimes you wonder, like, how do they do that? Uh, we can all agree that most people who are great at what they do, um, they're also trained at what they do. Uh, they develop their skills. They discipline themselves by repeatedly completing mundane things, things that are very unexciting. Now, at times, people also get annoyed by their dedication to these things. Uh, it's like when someone's learning how to play the drums. They're not pretty good as yet, but they're banging those drums over and over, and in one sense, you're like, can you stop? But they do this over and over until they become good. They're disciplined at this thing. And so we must ask ourselves, how can we become great at being a follower of Christ? What if we ask ourselves that question? So when we see someone who knows the Bible or who is constantly giving off themselves or, you know, and they have patience and hope and grace, we wonder, like, how did they do that? And so what if I can become like that? And yes, it's the grace of God, and yes, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables them to become like that, but it also involves training and disciplining ourselves concerning the things of God. I mean, what if we gave ourselves over to pursuing the things of God to the point where we become good at it? Because when it comes to a new year, uh, we start with reflection and expectation. 
how has last year gone? And when the new year arrives, it's good to ask, what do I want for this year? What do I want to do differently this year than I did last year? And so in, in 1 Timothy uh, 4, verses 6 to 10, um, Paul gives us this, this uh, information, and it talks about this training, an opportunity for us to go deeper in God and to experience him. And here's what he, what he says. It says, if you instruct uh, the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now let's do a little word study for a moment. Understand the contextual analysis of this passage in 1 Timothy 4. Um, Paul is addressing uh, Timothy and advising him to avoid getting caught up in irrelevant and foolish myth. This is what you'll see in the first part. So now he's shifting Timothy's focus to something positive. Focus on training yourself towards godliness. Now the first occurrence of train in verse 6 is from the Greek word uh, padio. This Greek word padio emphasizes a comprehensive training or nurturing similar to raising a child. And so children, as you know, they require an ongoing process of learning and development. A child doesn't have a specialty in what they learn. They don't know what to even learn. So as a child is developing, a parent or even an adult, they impart everything. Um, there's an old saying, I don't know if it's true for you guys, but I know just in Jamaica, they always have these little things. And this pastor would always just say, um, just, he'd always say, eat the fish and, and uh, spit out the bone. You know? I'm sure you guys can understand what it means, right? Don't swallow the bone, right? But this is what would happen as a, as a child, they don't know what to do, so what we'll do is we'll give them the good stuff. But as they get older, they take in information and they reject the things that's not important for their lives. So this first train, it speaks to this comprehensive, ongoing training that we need if we're to become good followers of Christ. But the second occurrence in verse 7, train yourself for godliness, uses the Greek word gymnazo. Now the Greek word gymnazo suggests a more intentional and disciplined form of training. Um, so the, this term is associated with um, physical exercises and is the root word of what? Can you guess? Huh? Gymnasium, yes. <laughs> so gymnasium. So Paul is saying 
do your spiritual exercises, do your spiritual push-ups and crunches so that you can become godly in the spiritual things. So just as athletes are trained to become strong and skilled in the physical realm, we must become strong in the spiritual realm. Why? 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here's another way to reframe the same verse. The pursuit of godliness holds greater significance for our present life and the life to come. That's what Paul was saying. Spiritual training has eternal consequences. And so, and then he says in verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So from what we've read, Paul has a pastoral concern for ensuring the acceptance of this teaching on training in godliness. And so he begins by stating these words are trustworthy. So he's affirming the reliability and truthfulness of the message he has communicated. In other words, don't doubt what I'm saying to you. That's what he's saying. But he goes further by saying, not only are my words trustworthy, but they are deserving of full acceptance. Um, this phrase, deserving of full acceptance, indicates that the teaching on training in godliness is not to be partially acknowledged or doubted, but should be embraced wholeheartedly. When we read God's word, we shouldn't doubt what God is saying to us through his people. We should accept his word in totality. So what we're seeing in this text is that there are some individuals who are not wanting to accept the value of training in godliness. Um, possibly resistance or skepticism within the community. So, so Paul is saying, accept everything. Trust God's word. Now, as a pastor, Paul is not only communicating this truth, but he's addressing the specific challenges and attitudes within the community. Now, and this can be the challenge uh, for anyone who is starting a new year. That includes me. I'm not exempt from the challenge of training in godliness. Now, I can't rely on the things that I did last year for this new year. I have to still do this. And Paul confirms that he also had to work at it. In verse 10, he says, For to this end we toil and strive because we, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So, so Paul brings in um, his own example and the example of fellow leaders. He said he toiled and strived for godliness. Now, the Greek word for toil, kopeo, so give me all these words, and it implies labor, hard work, and toiling to the point of weariness. Now, now you see how important these words are in, when, you, when you read through. It's the idea of expending energy and enduring hardships in the process of exerting oneself. 
So Paul is, is saying to us, you know, that he works so hard at developing his spiritual life to the point of weariness. Think about that for a moment. Think about if we exert so much energy to praying and studying God's word, to making application. He says, I toil for this. But he didn't stop there. Then there's this also, the Greek word for strive is, how do you want to pronounce this word? The Greek word strive is agonizomai. Agonizomai. This word is derived from agon, which is the root for the English word agonize, right? So agonizomai signifies intense effort or contending, specifically in the context of an athletic competition. So it conveys the idea of giving one's best, putting forth strenuous effort, competing with utmost dedication. So think about that now. So in one instance, he's saying that I'm giving myself, you know, so much to learning God's word to the point of weariness. But in using this word uh, strive, where it's competing, he's saying that there are so many things that might be competing for our attention. So you have to work hard to, 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 uh, to combat those other things. And that's how it is for every new year. You know, maybe you're looking and saying, here are the things that I want to pursue. And sometimes we neglect our spiritual lives. So Paul is saying, I have to toil and strive because there's so many things that compete for our attention. So the choice of the words toil and strive suggests that the journey toward godliness can be demanding and requires persistent effort. You have to work at it. So the process of spiritual growth requires a personal investment. Now, by sharing his personal experiences of toiling and striving, Paul sets an example for all the believers. So he demonstrates that even leaders and the apostles undergo a continual process of growth and effort in their spiritual journey. Now, what are spiritual disciplines, you might ask? Well, Spiritual disciplines are intentional practices and habits that train us to become more like Christ. Um, now, now, there isn't a list of, you know, spirit, of, of fixed spiritual disciplines. We can all find things within ourselves. However, there are some common disciplines that Christians have, you know, found to be helpful. Just want to list a few of them. And first one is uh, spiritual intake like hearing, reading, memorizing, uh, studying, applying. These are all spiritual intake. Uh, that's what Paul had in mind when he spoke with Timothy about being nourished on faith and good doctrine. So spiritual intake, all the things that we take into our body, whether it's the videos you watch on YouTube, taking stuff in, the podcast you listen to, all those things are spiritual intake. So you got to be careful about what you take into your body. And there's prayer. The Bible encourages us to be devoted to prayer. Also, worship. We, we did, that's what we're doing today, focusing on responding to God, so both public and private. So when we leave here today, we should have our, what we call our secret closet, our, you know, where we're praying and having our own devotions to God. So this right here is our corporate setting, 
but we should also have that private setting towards God. So when, you know, when Peter or Paul, who is leading worship on here, you know, I'm trusting that they have spent time throughout the week in private worship. But all of us should do that. This is a corporate space, but we all should have that private time with God. Evangelism, telling others the good news, are serving both within and outside the church. Stewardship, you know, the disciplined use of our time and our resources. And your favorite one, fasting. You can fast from things other than food, but food is uh, the common thing that we generally use, or even journaling. Um, so there are so many other things you can use, but notice what these disciplines are not. One of the greatest mistakes we make is believing that because something is good for us, we must love it. But not everyone who works out at the gym love going to the gym. Everyone doesn't love eating healthy. But we understand the importance of it, right? Does everyone here like eating healthy? <laughs> so somebody's like, no, don't like doing it. <laughs> but do you understand the importance of it? I mean, why do you believe they put the healthy and, un and the unhealthy food next to each other in the store? Because they realize that at some point, the unhealthy either, you know, they'll go to the dark side and get something healthy. So they put the, you know, the whole milk next to the 1% and the 2% and the skim milk, and you look and, you, and they choose what you want, right? And so you go into the store, you're gonna, you're gonna always see those things, and you always choose like, now I'm gonna have this instead. But every so often, it's just like the ones who don't like drinking water and believe that by going to get some lab work, you're going to drink a gallon of water in that one day, and all of a sudden, your body is fine. Like, no, it's over time. When they run that blood work, they're going to, they're going to see that you haven't been drinking water for the last three months. <laughs> yeah, I learned it the hard way. I remember one time I was getting ready, and I'm like, drinking all water, all week, just drinking water, just pure water. When I got there, they're like, hey, Mr. Harvey, uh, the blood results tell me that for the past three months. I'm like, three months? <laughs> yeah, so, got it. So, so you don't like doing it, but you realize that you, you have to do it because it's a good habit to have. But likewise, spiritual disciplines are not external religious practices that measure our love for God. There are practices and habits that help us to love him. For example, I didn't like getting up early for prayer, but now I love it. And in fact, I only go on a fast when I'm 150% certain that God is leading me on a fast. And here's why. When I go on a fast, I lose weight, and it takes me months to gain back the weight that I have. So I don't like going on a fast unless God is telling me to go on a fast. So when someone says, let's go on a fast, I'm like, I, I, I got to be certain God is telling me. Now, not loving those things has nothing to do with me loving God. It simply imp impacts my spiritual growth with God. 
or in God, I should say. Now you're like, what, what do you mean? The more I fast and the more I pray is the more I feel connected to God and the more he speaks to me. Um, but spiritual disciplines are not the goal, but a means to the goal of knowing and loving God. So nothing is wrong with you not loving certain things right now. But over time, you love what they do to develop your spiritual journey. See, and that's what happens all the time. We, 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 we make the things and saying, well, if I can't pray for three hours, then I don't love God. Or if I don't fast for 21 days, I don't love God. But that's not the case. See, those things, they help in our spiritual growth. But the love of God starts when we make the decision to serve him. It's just that we don't want to remain stagnant. That's the difference. So if I don't fast and if I don't pray and if I don't go more and deeper in the word of God, then my spiritual life will remain stagnant. Doesn't mean I don't love God. I'm just stagnant. But the more I'm reading God's word and praying and being close to him, now I remove from a place of stagnance to develop my, my growth. And so that's what Paul was saying. So spiritual disciplines are not means to even earn acceptance from God. Rather, they're a response to the acceptance that we already have in Christ. The acceptance and favor of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not through our efforts or even our achievements. God accepts us in Christ and not because of anything else that we do. Because God's acceptance is rooted in his grace. See, it, it's a gift that's extended to us through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So our relationship with God begins with receiving his grace, not by trying to merit it through our actions. So we are free to engage in spiritual disciplines with joy, knowing that our standing before God is secure in Christ. So God is not in heaven saying you don't love him because your streak ends on the U version by the app. Like I've been going through my streak and all of a sudden it ended. No, no, God's not in heaven saying, oh, you don't love me. You're going for 20 days in a row and you missed one day. That's not what God is doing. God wants to know, is your faith in Jesus Christ secure? That's what he wants to know. See, that's the merit of his acceptance, and everything else is about our growth and development in him. So don't beat up yourself. I used to do it all the time, go through. In fact, I think they, uh, Craig Rochelle, you know, who started the YouVersion Bible app, and I think they understood that people were concerned about their streak. You know, they're like, oh, man, I was doing so well, my streak ended. And so they did something where, I guess, if you reset the profile, it can just reset the streak for that one day. I, I know, it's, it's crazy. Because people were so concerned, like, I was in a good streak, all these goals, and they were kind of freaking out. So, so now you can just reset your streak and just, just for that one day, like, yep, I'm on it, liars. Anyway. <laughs> But also, 
Spiritual disciplines are not difficult practices that are reserved for spiritually mature believers. Now, every believer, regardless of their experience, can engage in practices that contribute to their spiritual development. So whether you've been saved for a day, a couple hours, 20 years, we all have an opportunity to grow in God. It's not reserved for the mature people. And so spiritual disciplines don't require this advanced academic qualifications, but a willing heart to seek and draw near to God. See, so many people try to pursue theological knowledge. But let me help you out. Your spiritual growth doesn't mean you have a calling to teach. See, every calling, whether it involves teaching, serving, leading, or whatever gift it is, it's valuable and contributes to the overall health and growth of the body of believers. So everything that we do as the body of Christ, we all grow together. So as we grow spiritually, we tell others about Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we're teachers. Twelve disciples walked closely with Jesus. But how many wrote the New Testament? Do you guys know how many contributed to it? People looking around. See? Because for some it's like, it doesn't matter. But think about, think about that. Twelve disciples walked closely with Christ. Walked right by his side. Learned from him. But only five helped to write the New Testament. Only five. Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 to 30. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? End quote. Of course not. God holds up a standard that is difficult to reach, a standard that is constantly beyond where we are in our spiritual journey. So, Talk about earlier about stagnance. When we get to a place, and even a new year, and we're like, man, I, I remember when I used to do this. What happened is that we got saved, we dove into the Word of God, we're growing spiritually, and we got to a place that was higher before. And now we're saying, I want to get back to that. It doesn't mean that we've necessarily digressed. It means that we haven't done enough to get beyond where we are. And so... God keeps setting this standard, and the more we get to God, his, the Word says that our ways are not like His ways, our thoughts are not like His. So as we grow in God, the standards get elevated. So you learn something here, He raises it, because we will never be perfect in this life. So the more we learn about God, is the more we go higher and higher in God. So we start off by reading from Genesis to Revelation, and all of a sudden, we start studying Greek words and Hebrew words, and now the verses mean something totally different to us because now our minds have been exposed to something that it wasn't before because we've been expanded. So as we're growing in God, he raises the standards. So, so every year or every week, we're always striving to get better and better in our spiritual lives. I don't expect you to be the same way you are right now a week from now. I know it's only a week from now. But I still believe that we're going to be studying the Word of God and growing in our faith. So next week when we have studied God's Word and we've prayed and enjoyed our, our QT, then God raises the standard. 
So we're constantly, you know, elevating ourselves because we're trying to become better Christians. And that's what God desires from us. So even though, you know, he raised the standards, it doesn't mean we should lower our standard. We continue to pursue God. So spiritual growth involves an ongoing process of reaching towards a higher standard. Now, God is not asking us to become masters of everything because, again, we won't reach perfection on earth. But, but we can be intentional in getting better in our spiritual growth by making better decisions every day. I mean, what if, big what if, you picked one spiritual discipline and worked on it in opposed to trying to do everything? Think about that. I mean, it might not be possible to read a chapter of the Bible every day while praying for an hour the same day, and at the same time trying to quit smoking and trying to stop using profanity all at the same time because it can feel overwhelming. Now, I'm not giving you license to continue living in sin. That's not what I'm saying. Because I believe that God can allow us to go cold turkey in certain things. But sometimes you must face reality that mastering all these things at once can be difficult. So, what if you identify the most critical aspect of your spiritual or personal growth journey and focus your efforts towards that specific area? So working on one thing at a time makes the goals more achievable. And so when you break down these larger objectives into smaller, manageable steps, it increases the likelihood of success and reduces the feeling of feeling overwhelmed. Uh, when I used to uh, teach music, I taught music K through 12, and I would tell the students, especially when their parents would ask, how often should they practice? An hour a day, five minutes a day? And I said, well, I said, what if they just practice just you know, one key each day? Just go through, just, just the key of C, just maybe get the skill. So what about going all 12? No, just, just one. Because an hour, you might not have it. So what, so what happens when a child doesn't have an hour to spare today? It means that they get no practicing. But maybe they can spare five minutes learning just that one key. And before the week is over, they'd have gone through all the keys. And so I would start with just saying, breaking it down small. And so they're like, oh, I never thought about that. And they're fine. They're, they're, you know, the kids would excel because now they've just broken down saying, learn all the 12 keys, minor, major, learn the Phrygian, the Dorian. Okay, let me stop talking music terms. <laughs> but I miss music sometimes. But, yeah. Ah, I digress. Just thinking about Phrygian, Lorcan, Dorian, it just does something Aeolian, Ionian. But focusing on one thing provides a sense of clarity and reduces even mental and emotional burden that's associated with trying to do too much. And say, so look and say, if you're smoking a pack and now yourself, I'm down to one. And the person's saying, well, why can't you just stop all at once? But you're celebrating small victories. 
You couldn't read a chapter today, but what if you say, I'm going to spend one minute to read a verse and then spend another minute to reflect on what it just read? Now you, that verse can sink into your spirit, right? And the post is saying, let me just read through a chapter. You're like, what, what did you read today? Well, I'm not quite sure, but it says something like, you know, it's, it was run about this. But maybe you read one verse and spend one minute reflecting that one verse, and now you're saying, I know exactly what I just read, and I can just make application of this. And now you're breaking it down, and before you know it, you're saying, it used to be one verse, but now I have five minutes. Now I have 10 minutes, and before you know it, you're like, man, I just can't put it down. Breaking it down in small things. The reality of training is that it is incremental. Just as a gymnast needs time to practice, to master complex moves, it's the same thing for our spiritual life. So don't be discouraged if you can't do something well. Just pick something that's reasonable to you and work at it. So build your confidence and gradually take on more challenging aspects. And the more you do, the more you're going to get better at it. Um, so now, how do you practice spiritual disciplines? Number one, you can decide on your goals beforehand. Discipline involves setting a goal while we're in a clear state of mind. I have to talk about this. For me, December is a busy month for me. It's the holiday season, I'm grading papers, I'm praying through sermon series for the year, trying to see potential speakers, all those things. So I rarely have meetings about ministry stuff until after the first week of January. Um, I, you know, uh, Peter will tell you and others that I've been telling like, I won't talk to you until after January 7th. You know, let me get through this time because after Christmas, I like to revisit the things that I've been praying about because the office is closed, not worried about schedules, not worried about stuff. Like, in fact, I told Belle we're not meeting this past week. Let's wait through because I want to make sure that I have good mental space to hear what God is saying beforehand. So it's same for us. Decide on these goals. Spend some time. Decide on the things that you want to work on this year. It's not too late. And so what if you can just use this time to say, what's this one thing? You can work on. Number two, develop structures, habits, and routines that help you stick with your disciplines. Believe it or not, routines are God's gift to us. Some people don't like routines. But for an introvert like me, being spontaneous every day can be burdensome. Amen, Jason? <laughs> See, see, we, we, see, introverts like to make decisions beforehand. We know it's coming. It gives us a certain peace. I love it. it, it so, so, you know, so just, think, so just those things just develop structures and habits and routines they can work throughout. Uh, so, number three, share your plan with others and even practice the disciplines together. Self-explanatory. Number four, implement complete trust in God. So for us to stay with our disciplines, we must believe that the efforts we are making will result in something good in the future. Only God can give us that faith in our future. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he, he shall direct your path. The word trust in this verse implies both the decision to trust God, but also a commitment to create a habit of trusting him. So it's twofold. We're trusting God, and we're going to create this habit of continually trusting God. So we must actively choose to trust God with everything we're pursuing this year. And here's why. Because even after placing our trust in God, we will be tempted to resort back to the things or even our old way of living in 2023. But it says here, lean not onto your own understanding. So to trust means to put yourself fully at the mercy of another. And to lean is to rely on something for support to stay upright. So to fully embrace this verse, here's what God is saying. You're going to fully put yourself at the mercy at whatever God is saying, but you're also going to lean on him for support to execute the same things. So if we trust in God, and if we lean on our own understanding, and if we submit to him, then he will make our path straight. So although I'm saying to us that we must trust God, I didn't give you any guarantees that God is going to make everything come to pass this year. Everything might not go according to plan. We call that life. Life happens. But we have the best chance trusting in God and not our wisdom. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for the good of those who trust God. Invite Orchardine to come forward. So this year, just want to encourage us to create spiritual disciplines and to work on them. Ask God to impress on you what's one thing that you can work on this year. And when he revealed that one thing, you ask him to help you with that one thing. So you're trusting God and you're leaning on God for support. Amen? Um, we're going to partake in communion. But as we're looking at this title today of what if, what if this year you fulfilled all that God desired for you? What if you took steps to become the person God created for you to become this year? And obviously, there's no doubt in my mind that God can do those things. I want to pray for us. Lord, we're thankful for your word. On this first Sunday of the year, I pray, God, that you will help us to uh, create good habits uh, in pursuing you, pursuing the spiritual growth that we desire in you. Not only that we desire this, God, but you desire it for us, God. So I pray, God, that you will help us to understand that some things might not be attainable all at once. And although we desire to rid them all from our lives, 
We're asking you, God, to help us. Help us to even find the things that are so important to our lives even today. And that you will help us to work on it, God. And as we work on these things, God, we can find ourselves becoming more and more drawn to you. So I pray, God, that we have the discipline to find the things that will help our spiritual life to become better. I pray, God, for the one that might be watching or listening that doesn't have a relationship with you, that this will be an opportunity to draw close to you and that you will forgive them of their sins, God. To help us all as a church, as the body of Christ, to draw closer to you, to serve you with our very lives. We just love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.